good to be in a place where people love Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Um, sometimes in Scripture we get a little window and what it looks like in heaven. Um, and I love it, verse where all of heaven celebrates. The angels are high-fiving each other when one sinner gives their heart back to Jesus. And um, I just imagine in the different places that we get a picture of heaven. I, I can only imagine this morning the angels in heaven looking down in this house of worship, seeing the hearts worshiping him and saying, well, brothers, we got to step it up. We can't let them beat us. <laughs> in the same way, it, t- it gives us a picture of heaven and what it looks like when the prayers of the saints arise in heaven and the whole court room of God fills with incense and and bowls are in heaven before God and the prayers of the saints fill those bowls. We ask, God, you've heard our prayers, our salvation of our children, of the lost ones. When will you answer these prayers? And I just see the bowls rising. The scripture says that he is not slow to fulfilling his promise, but he's patient. Why is he patient? What does the Bible say? He's patient for our sake, that none should perish, not one. We know the heart of God for those that are far from him. We know the heart of God. I just, before we move any farther into this service, I I love flexing our spiritual muscles. I love seeing the church flex on the devil. There just isn't anything better. And, and I know the, the, the conversation that we had, this prophetic conversation that we had about some lost children far from God and how we're believing as a church for those children to return home. I want to ask a question. I don't care if you're young or old. If you have someone in your life that is important to you, that is far from God, I want you to raise your hand right now. Okay, almost, almost all the hands are raised in this room. Now, I know that you have, you have prayed. Keep your hands up. I know it's a little, it can get sore a little bit. But what I want you to do is I, I, I know that you have sown prayers into that person's life. But what I want you to do is I want you to put the hand, your hand on the person next to you, someone around you that has their hand raised. And for a minute, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the person, uh, believing for the person next to you. Who is it that they're praying for? And we're for a moment going to join one another in prayer for those for those that are far from Jesus to come home, those that are far from Jesus, that the demonic veil that's over their eyes would be lifted. So let, let us, let's flex on the devil. And I like this church because you are a declaring church because we, we, don't, we don't ask what the Lord has called us to declare. We know what his will is and he's asked us to declare his will. And so if we know that his will is that none would perish, we declare it right now in Jesus' name. We speak we speak to the veil that is blinding the eyes of those that, that believe that they may see the glory of God in the name of Jesus. We pray for our schools in the name of Jesus. We pray for our children and we pray for our generations in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
The Bible says that we bear one another's burdens. This is how we as a church are one of the the greatest communities. How God is using the church to bring redemption. To bring redemption. I've been meditating. Lately I've been just kind of digging into the Psalms and just learning, asking God, teach me how to worship again. Um, not that I didn't, I just want to be refreshed and, and want to, there's no better place to learn how to open the, the chambers of your heart to, to, to fill this place with worship. And, and I, the psalm, Psalm 24, has just been resonating in my soul for a, for a while, for a few weeks. And, and just maybe you know it, it's those who ascend to the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart, but I just want to, to highlight a few verses in there. This wasn't even a part of the sermon. It's just, just something I wanted to bring. It says in verse 1, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he, is, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We, uh, my kids and I yesterday, we stumbled across the uh, Bigfoot conference did you, know that, did you know that Cambridge hosts one of the largest Bigfoot conferences maybe in the world? And we found it. We found the conference. We didn't find Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> my youngest daughter, she's here with us today. We were, as, as we left the conference, just, you know, we stumbled upon it. We didn't attend, intend to go. And it, it was kind of fun seeing everything. And we were just dreaming about doing ministry at the Bigfoot conference. And and, and, and her, her idea was, was, Dad, we just need to tell him that the true Bigfoot is the Lord because the earth is his footstool. I mean, who has a bigger foot? It says that the, the, the whole earth is God's. It's his. It all belongs to it. But this psalm ends like this. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. The earth, all of it belongs to the Lord. But yet there's this place that he seems to want to go. All of it belongs to the Lord. It's, it, it goes out of its way to say it's all there. It's all his. He created it. He, he founded it. Yet there's this one place that he desires to go. I just pray as we encountered God so deeply in worship this morning that those gates of our hearts that were swung wide open as we move through this day, through this evening, through this week. Those gates are meant to keep things in and keep things out. And there's plenty in this world that we want to use those gates for. But we always want them to be open to the King of glory. I'm thankful for this church that you guys are built 
on this hunger, even all throughout the week, even Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Wednesday evenings, that, that, that the Lord is the foundation of this place and your gates of your hearts would remain open. And this weekend, Sarah ministered and you know, one of the biggest parts that she ministered is just, just checking every area of our heart and making sure that every door is open for the Lord and closed for the devil. Praise God. Well, when I was, my wife and I were in our early 20s, um, it's, it's interesting. Actually, I know this, uh, this uh, nicely dressed hippie guy back there. Um, Matt Jackson knew us when we were, believe it or not, we're from Toledo, and, and we actually used to do some ministry with, with Matt, and we were in our young 20s. Um, just radical for Jesus, we bought this big old house um, that needed a lot of love in the middle of a neighborhood that needed a lot of love. And we had, uh, we were self-appointed urban missionaries, untrained, uh, no one taught us, no one sent us, no one commissioned us. We definitely... uh, I'm thankful we had good godly men and women in our lives that saw the call and didn't throttle us back or try to bridle us, but saw this sort of untamed Mustang hearts and just sort of provided some guidance. Does any of you guys know Tom and Nancy Rupley? Um, There's some just good spiritual fathers of ours, but uh, came alongside us early on, and we just began loving the hell out of this neighborhood just saying it, it's just not okay for our community to to not experience the love of God and we didn't know how we how to do it what we were going to do we do we do crazy stuff remember Matt Jackson we come over to Matt's house at like I don't know midnight and um, we we would intentionally wait like what what's the worst time of day that you would want to be out on the streets in some of the worst neighborhoods in Toledo. And we just want to, we want to go to those places and see if God would show up. And we found out whenever you go to a place to see if God would show up, he always does. He always does. He always does. And so we go to Matt's house at, uh, you know, hours of the day that I didn't know existed and go out and, find people that seem to like those hours of the day and uh man we'd see we'd have encounters with angels and demons and every everything in between saw people get saved and invited into crackheads houses and we're like should we be in these houses and, uh, i don't know if we should be here right now but god god did incredible stuff and um when we were uh in about 2011 i think uh the Lord began speaking to us about starting a church. Um, that was that was not exciting to me when I first God started speaking to that. I'm like, Lord, um, you know that I'm I'm wild and crazy, and I love adventure. I love starting things. I love building things. But you remember what I told you, Lord? I'll do anything for you, but be a pastor. Um, it seems. It seems when you work deals out with the Lord like that, I, man, I, it's never gone well for anyone I know. Uh, 
say, oh, Lord, I will do anything for you. He's like, got it. Okay, done. Except, and the Lord's already moved on. He's like, ah, I, heard, I heard you do anything for me. That's all I needed to hear. That's good. Your heart's all mine. Because the Bible says that the, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro across the land, seeing whose hearts are fully devoted to him that he may strongly support. And so the Lord... Uh, moved us into a season of church planting. We started a church in Toledo, Ohio called City Light Church last year. We handed over, it was one of the greatest honors of my life, um, handed over the leadership of the church that we started to our new pastor. His name's Pastor Trevor, and he's preaching right now. And um, we're, even though we're with you, that our home church is still the church that we founded. Now we just sit in the back and complain the music's too loud and the preaching's too long and stuff like that. Uh, we're good, good founding pastors, you know. We want to make sure he suffers all the, the he has the joy of suffering. No, I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. Uh, we're, we're his biggest fans, seriously. Um, one of my greatest passions is the Lord tricked me. I never wanted to be a pastor. Um, the Lord tricked me into planting a church. And when you plant a church, you, you by default, become the pastor, if you didn't know that. Uh, and um, there I am. And, and the Lord um, gave me a burning passion for church planting. Now, Brent told me, Pastor Brent told me, when you come and preach, you don't have to preach on church planting. Um, he said that to me several times, like dropping a hint or something. Um, so... So we'll just, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Revelations 22-21, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, God's holy people. We just, I just preached the Bible cover to cover. Now let's get on to church planting, can we? <laughs> when I was... Um, shifting out of the role of lead pastor. It was about a year-long transition um, when Pastor Trevor was going to take over, and, and I was decreasing, and he was de increasing. In that season, I knew this new season I was going to go into of, of helping new leaders establish new churches, um, God began speaking to me. And that's always good when you're going into a new season. You want to hear you want to hear everything that God has to say about that. And, you know, I thought I knew a lot about church planning and had a good, good idea. And, but you always open it up and never be surprised when you open yourself up to say, okay, I think I know all this, God, but you go ahead and share what you, you have to share. And don't ever be surprised that, that he shakes the foundations. And that's what the Bible says, right, is that he will shake everything that can be shaken. So the only thing that remains is the kingdom stuff. The kingdom stuff. I like to build on top of the kingdom stuff. He started speaking to me, and I had this troubled spirit. And I mean, there was nights my wife and I stayed up late, and I was just, just pouring out this wrestling inside of my soul. And I was troubled in spirit because the Lord started sharing to me, and, and I, I would say I'm like, I'm like 85% where I feel like I even have a grasp on this. I'm still in this process of saying, I know that there, the mysteries of God are deeper than what I can, I can muster up in a, in a year and a half of, of just pressing into this, but, but I, I, this is the best way that I know how to articulate it, um, that the gospel 
that the church is built on is almost become like a deficiency. It's like, um, how many of you have ever been in bed at night and you get a muscle cramp where just throughout the day your muscles hurt and you realize, man, I need to eat a banana or take some vitamins or something like that and all of a sudden the pain goes away. You didn't need to take an Advil. It's like a vitamin deficiency. There's, there's sometimes in our DNA, if you study genetics, there can be, uh, there can be uh, dormant genes that all of a sudden will pop out and years later, like, a, like a, you know, you look at the color of my wife's hair and my daughter's hair and my hair, and then I have one daughter with blonde hair. I don't know how some kind of gene that was in there that, that skipped my generation but was passed on to her. She's the only one in our, in our household that has blue eyes. It was, the Lord was speaking to me saying that the, the DNA of the gospel is in the church. It's not there. It hasn't left. The DNA of all that the gospel is. Now, when I, when I say this, some of you might say, what's he talking about? There's, we, we're a gospel church, and we believe in the gospel, and we speak the gospel. But I think that there's more. I think there's something about the gospel that is greater. Because when I read this Bible, I wanted to find every verse that talked about church planting, and I couldn't find one. It simply doesn't use the word. It doesn't talk about church planting in here. But you know what it does talk about? It talks about preaching the gospel. It talks about making disciples. You know what? Churches are planted as a byproduct of those things that happen, of, of people that are, that are passionate about sharing the truth of Jesus. The story, the story that's, that's more than a story. Stories can be fact, stories can be fiction, but we know the story is, is beyond that. This story is power. And we know that. I think we got a, a, a slide. I want you to go to this slide in Romans. And it says this. For I am not ashamed of this good news, which means, you guys are smart, uh, about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news, which also means gospel, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from, from uh, start to finish by faith. This gospel is the power unto salvation. It is, it is the story, the moment of time that when this event happened, that it shot out in all directions, that salvation would be made available for all of us that are, that are far and separated from God. First the Jew, and then the Gentile, it says, those who are, who are religious and that attend church and that say, oh, I'm a, I'm a good boy and I'm a good girl. Do you know church doesn't make you a Christian? My good friend says, uh, church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a McNugget. <laughs> the truth is, it is the foundation of the gospel. I would like to add, though, that there's no such thing as a biblical Christian that, doesn't, that isn't a part of a church. We know church is not, it's not make us as a Christian, but because of the gospel causes us to connect with the family of God. 
first the Jews, those who thought they were religious, but knew that they needed a salva- that needed salvation. No matter how often you come to church, you always need the gospel. And then the Gentile, those that are far from God, those that would be deemed wicked, those that would be deemed corrupt, those that would be deemed as, as unsavable. God is, is the unchosen people. <laughs> we all can think of a few unchosen people. <laughs> unchosen by us. But the gospel wants to chase after them. God's been speaking to me about this, about this gospel, and I've been looking at how the gospel, how churches have been planted through the book of Acts just by this simple concept of a people that are unashamed of the gospel. Uh, my family and I, we talk about this, this conversation we have in our house about being ashamed. It's, it's put there for a reason. Why is the, the word ashamed put in there? Well, I think, you know, you you read Paul's writings and it's pretty clear he's not ashamed. Why does he have to say that? Because everything in the world will press against the preaching of the gospel. Everything in this world will push against the idea of you being able to tell your neighbor about the good news of Jesus Christ, about you reaching uh, reaching across the restaurant to to the other table to to just speak that life into them. All, all of the world would speak to you and say, this is something to be ashamed of and definitely not celebrated. Do not share this. But Paul speaks against that. He speaks a word against that and says, I am not ashamed of this. Even though every pressure in all of the universe is pressing me to be ashamed of it, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will speak the truth that is the power of God unto salvation simply can't say no to this. Let's turn it. You guys like your Bibles? You guys turn there? I, I've, I'm in this place where I barely even bring a paper. But is that bad, Pastor? I like my smartphone, but I... Oh, oh, he's waving. He's, yeah. Uh, Acts chapter 1. This is the most, most read chapter in Acts. Because most people start it and then don't finish it, right? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while they were eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about from John the... uh, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's a good word. Then they gathered around him and asked, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Question mark. Oh, I can just imagine Jesus like, uh, you know, it's like these final words, being with these, these guys for three years and then, and then them seeing what they saw and experiencing what they experienced. And Jesus is about to say, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving. And, he's, and they're like, oh, cool. Are we setting up an empire? Is that the deal now? We get to be kings? And he says, He said to them, It is not for you to know this time or date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yes. <sighs> and he's like, Guys, I just, I just need you to do this one thing, okay? You're not quite getting it, but I need you to just, just hang out here, okay? I can barely stand to be around you guys because you're not getting it. No, I don't think Jesus was like that. But you just sort of have to wonder, right, when, they, when they're like, so now do we get to, like, you know, take over, overthrow Rome? Is this now? Do we get to do that? And Jesus is like, um, you're going to need the Holy Spirit for this one. I don't think you guys are getting it. And Jesus is like, I'm out of here. You know, and, the, and, they're, and, and, and they're, like, pondering what he says, and Jesus takes off. He's, I mean, that's what the Bible says. He's just like, Whoosh. And the disciples, you know, they're all standing there and they're like, <sighs> oh. and Jesus gets to heaven and is like, listen, um, I can't deal with this. I, I told them to go to Jerusalem and pray. And the disciples are just like, and he's like, yo, uh, you angels, can you just go down and set them straight and get them sorted? And that's what the Bible says. I mean, they're literally gawking at the clouds. And two angels have to come down and be like, what, what are you guys looking at? Like, he, he's gone. He told you he was leaving. He's gone. He's not coming back until a later date. And he told you all to go to Jerusalem and start praying. So let's get on with the show. See, here's, here's what I love about the Bible. I, I love reading about the first century church. And, and I remember when I was a young Christian, man, these, these guys were, were my heroes, man. They, they started the church. They did it the right way, the true way. Now I look at the Bible and say, these guys are my heroes because they're messed up just like I am. <laughs> this is great. I know if they could do this, then so can I. So let's go through some slides here. I think there's a, a slide. The truth is, is that God uses, God uses mess ups. He just does. That is one thing that the book of Acts gives confirmation to, that God uses mess-ups. So, uh, so Acts tells him, go in Jerusalem, and, and, and I need you guys to go, to go pray, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. So they're like, cool. They get to Jerusalem, and, and instead of praying, they're like, shoot, we're one down. One, two, three, four, eleven. There's eleven of us. There used to be twelve. One guy died, so we need to appoint another guy. You know, exactly what Jesus told them to do, right? Appoint another guy? No, that's not. And I, 
And I love, their, I love their scriptural references they do. Anytime you want to do anything you want to do, you can always find a scripture to back up what you want to do. It doesn't, but the two scriptures they use, you'll have to study it for yourself. They do not connect together. And I'm like, I'm not sure about your hermeneutics there, Peter, but listen, I wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe this was the Lord's will, but I, I'm kind of questioning your hermeneutics there. Taking two random verses, connecting it, says we need to appoint a 12th. And so, you know, that's what they did. They, they you know, Rolled dice. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like the two guys that they had to pick. It was, it was Matthias. And do you guys remember the other guy's name? No, it was uh, Barabbas. Barabbas. Have you ever heard that name before? <laughs> Barabbas was the, was the guy when, when Jesus was, was going on trial. They didn't have a, really a reason to hold you. And, and um, who was it, Pontius Pilate's like, listen, normally we let one of you guys go anyway. How about we let Jesus go? And the crowd's like, no, nah, don't let Jesus go. Let Barabbas go. You know, it's not the same Barabbas. It's just that that was the same name. It's sort of like, you know, when you're, uh, I can just imagine like, man, the, being on the, the kickball and, and it's like, all right, who, who do we got to pick from? We got Matthias and we got Barabbas, <laughs> let's pick Matthias, like, who, are we going to get Jimmy, or are we going to get, who's left, who would pick Jimmy, he's not very good, oh, good kicker, Adolf, <laughs> no, we don't want Adolf, let's go with Jimmy, so poor, poor Matthias, that was the only time he, he got his name in the Bible, was being appointed as an apostle, and then never heard from again, poor guy, <laughs> at least he was better than Barabbas, all right. Let's keep moving. I think that's, it's awesome that the Lord uses mess-ups. Didn't tell them to go pick another disciple. They did anyway. Okay, the Lord's like, all right, at least we're moving forward in prayer. At least we're, going, we're heading in the right direction. And they do. They pray. And they pray up a storm. There's about, what, 120 of them there? The Holy Spirit fills that place. And you know the scripture, the tongues of fire that looks like tongues come down rest on they begin speaking in other tongues they pour out of that building and we know the scripture says about about what 9 a.m and i love it peter i love peter he is it's incredible to see how how god used him to um to to pastor this very first church through some very difficult times and and established the sound teaching was used to to break through to see the Gentiles enter into uh, this thing called the church, and but but still, Peter was historically like known for his sort of botched whatever, you know, like like one of the one of the the first sermons ever preached after Jesus rose from the dead, one of the the greatest revivals of all times is, is Peter preaching this his very first, his very first sermon. I mean, in his opening lines to his very first sermon that, that lead thousands is, you know what? Some of you think we're drunk, but I tell you it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> Convincing argument, Peter. <laughs> what, if Pat, what if pastor comes in here all stumbling, maybe had a little bit too much prayer time in his opening? Uh, some of y'all think I'm drunk, but it's only 10 a.m., so we know it's the Holy Spirit, you know? Uh, I mean... But Peter preaches this profound word. See, that's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing. Is God just seems to use fumbling, bumbling people. 
And he uses a messed up church too. And the, the first church, man, some people really like to idolize, I don't know, maybe that's too strong of a word, really like to, to hold that first church up on a pedestal and as a church planning director, I get to hear that, you know, young, young pastors full of zeal. I want to I wanna plan a New Testament church. I want to, you know, see a, an Acts chapter 2 church. I'm thinking like, you, you mean like the one that, that had racism in there, that, that like the, the, the Jewish widows would get fed, but the, the ones that were more Greek, they didn't get, you talking about like a racist kind of church? Is that what you're, uh, no? Oh, like a, like a, a Galatians type church where, the, you know, the apostles would be like, who's bewitched you guys? Are you crazy? Or like a Corinthians church where like the pastor has to speak to him so harshly. I'm telling you what, if Pastor Brent spoke to you, preached to you the way that Paul preached the Corinthians, some of y'all would be writing an open Bible saying, this guy is, is rough. God, God uses messed up people. He uses messed up churches. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're going to be on a lifelong tour. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why you can't find a perfect church. Well, the, the only perfect church is the one where no people are at. <laughs> Once someone enters the building, then, then hey, we may be perfect in the eyes of the Lord because we have the, the sanctification of God and we have the, the, the blood of the Lamb that has is, that is conquered sin and death. That is, that is so important why, why the Bible uses, why Ephesians chapter 4 talks about maintain the spirit of unity so that you can tolerate one another, <laughs> right? So that you can get through the hard things with one another. That's why you bear one another's burdens. That's also why you forgive one another. That's why you restore one another. That's why you bear one another's burdens. That's why you greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that much anymore, do we? I don't know. Um, church, this was God's plan for the church full of messed up people. Ephesians chapter 3, I think we have that next slide. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, it says God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. <laughs> A church to display his wisdom, its riches, uh, variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is why when you pray, when you prophesy over this city, when you join the other churches in this town, praying and prophesying over this city, that you see change. Now I'm telling you something. We were in Cambridge about five years ago. There is a different spirit. I I don't know how else to word it. There's something different about this town, Pastor Brent. There's something different about this town. You can just feel it. There's a a lighterness in this place, a friendlierness in this place. There's something God is doing in this city. Proverbs 11.11 says a city either thrives or it's cursed on the mouth of the people. We, We choose which one? We either, we either bless the city or we curse the city. And you guys are a people amongst a city of churches that are blessing this city and you're seeing the fruit because that verse, Ephesians 3, is who you are and what you're doing. 
What God used was messed up people, messed up apostles, messed up church to go preach the good news, and they sure did. And, and regardless of their mess-ups and hang-ups and screw-ups, great miracles were done, and demons were cast out of people, and, and the sick was healed. Do you know that demons cast out and, and the sick healed and the gospel preached does not validate that you are, that you've arrived at perfection it doesn't validate that you have perfect theology and absolute doctrine. What it does validate is that you have a heart sold out for God. And yes, those other things, I'm saying, we, I'm definitely not saying we don't need to work on those things. I'm definitely not saying that we don't need to, to, to get better and to do better. But what I am saying is we don't need to wait to get better and to do better to be used by God in the meantime. We need to be holy as he is holy. We need to follow the word of God as it's instructed. But anytime we trip and stumble, that doesn't unvalidate God being used in our lives. Or rather, God using us in our lives. But this is what the Bible says. As they, the apostles began preaching and healing the sick and seeing many come to Christ. The, the religious, those that kind of wanted the system, they didn't want to shake up. They wanted to keep things as it was. They didn't like this, and they finally snatched him up. They grabbed John and Peter, and they, they, they held him in custody, and they questioned him and interrogated him and poked and prodded them. And, and finally they said, listen, we're, we're going to let you all go under one condition, that you stop talking about this Jesus. In fact, we don't even care if you heal people anymore. Just stop doing it in Jesus' name, which we know there's kind of a little issue with that. <laughs> this is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, 18 through 20. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to teach, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to God, to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Here is the thing. Friends, here is the thing. God is looking for hearts that will say yes. God is looking for hearts that say, here I am, use me. That is what God is looking for. In the face of those things, we know that the gospel is carried by people that will give God their yes. The truth is that even with Peter and John being arrested, they were, they were probably roughed up a little bit, showed themselves back to the, the church. They, they kind of went back, and, and the church the church saw how kind of roughed up they were. And to be honest, fear, fear was set into the, into the church. They, they all of a sudden, for the first time, there were real consequences to this thing of of sharing the gospel, of speaking the truth about Jesus. For the first time, there were significant consequences. 
It wasn't just your neighbor no longer wanting to speak to you because all you talk about is Jesus, but there was this risk. And the truth is, we already talked about this, when, when the gospel exists, shame and fear want to come in. Let's go to the next slide. This, this truth is, is that fear is smoke and mirrors all of the time anytime the gospel wants to be presented the devil wants to bring in fear fear always will resist the call of god he, my daughters and i were just chatting over lunch uh yesterday and, and i asked them this question uh, who in the bible did god ask did did god ask anyone in the bible who in the bible did god ask to do something that that was safe God, hey, I want you to do this. It's completely safe. Just go ahead and, and do it. I, we, we, sat, we actually sat there and thought about it. And we debated, was Noah building an ark? And then we realized, boy, that, he had kind of a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff come against him. They called him a lunatic and a crazy. It was not safe for him. We, we pondered that and realized there wasn't anyone in the Bible that God asked, when you give your yes to God, I am telling you, it is not safe. Yeah. It is not safe to give your yes to God. Now, understanding that, you have to face this reality. If it's not safe, I know I'm going to be confronted with fear. I will be confronted with fear. Anytime we step out to do something in, for God, fear is right there to meet us every time. Fear, fear of rejection. Fear God won't show up. God, what, what, if, I, what if I talk about you and they say, I don't want to hear none of that. They're, they're rejecting me. We, we are built with emotions. We are built in with a God-given desire to want to connect and be accepted by other people, that is okay. There is, we, we should have that. We should want other people to like us. If you don't, then you're a jerk. <laughs> there is a part of us that, that God wired us to want other people's acceptance, but we're also given, we're given a, a, a message, a call, that sometimes others will reject us. It is the absolute truth. I over the summertime, in fact, I'm gearing up to do it again. I uh, started last year. We would go out on the streets, me and a buddy of mine, and um, as I'm trying to, as I'm pressing into sharing the gospel. Now, the, the scariest thing I ever do is share the gospel with random strangers. I'm telling you what, I do it. I do it because I, I want to. I do it because God has put a passion in me, and I got to press out. But I am telling you, I literally shake when I'm like, you know, we pull into the area that we're going to go out, and I'm like, you know what, it's getting late. Well, maybe we just wrap it up today. We're like, we haven't even gotten out of the car yet, you know. And, and that's why, I'm telling you, I, I am telling you, that this is why I believe, literally why I believe Jesus sent them out uh, in twos. I, I just do not believe, I do not believe it is biblical to be a Lone Ranger minister. And maybe, maybe Pastor Brent will share with the otherwise or maybe he will affirm that but but i'm just saying i i just don't see new testament where it is where it is wise it is safe it is it is good and right and biblical to be a lone ranger minister so much so that even even when even when mess ups like paul and barnabas have this little snafu have this little disagreement 
I'm so thankful that's in the Bible. I am so thankful that's in the Bible. You mean disagreement's biblical? I don't know. It's in there. I don't know if it's biblical, but it happened to people in the Bible. And God still used them. Praise the Lord. He uses mess-ups. But even when they, even when they, they pick new ministry partners, this is not, it's not good. Jesus' model, he sent them out two by two. Oh, we're going to grab up new ministry partners, and we can see by Paul's writings that those ministry partners were valuable. Those ministry partners, if, if he didn't have those, if he didn't have guys like Timothy and Silas, imagine Paul being in that prison alone. You don't get as good harmony when you sing by yourself either, do you? You know, imagine being in that prison by yourself and having to harmonize with yourself singing those worship songs in jail. No, I believe it was. It was spurring each other on, fanning to flames the good works of God. As the Bible says, provoking one another to good works. You can't one another yourself. Anyway, so me and my buddy would go on the streets, and I'm terrified. And I call him the cannonball because he just he's one of these guys that doesn't have much of a personal bubble. You know, you ever meet people like that? Um, they're just not afraid to just, like, walk up to random strangers and begin conversations. And, and that's, what, that's what he'd do. He'd just walk up and be like, hey, we're here telling people about Jesus. Can we pray for you? And, you know, and... and the people would be stunned and kind of stuttering a little bit. It's like, what's going on with you? But he, he didn't, you know, he just brand new in ministry, has no clue what to say and how to do it. I just use him as the cannonball. Listen, I'm, while I'm dealing with my fear, you just go ahead and blast in. And then I see the conversation's already started and, and you're, you're sinking and, and I'll come in and rescue you. And so that, that seemed to work really good. And so he'd get in there, start conversations, not know where to go with it. And I'd be like, oh, Pastor George has got to go straighten out this mess. I'm, you know, i got to say these things to make myself feel good, okay? Um, so I'm telling you what, we, we saw, I just want to tell you about Will. He, this guy we met out on the streets. Second guy we come into, my nerves are shaking like crazy. And, and my friend goes and starts talking with him and, can we pray for you? Yeah, we, we can pray. So, okay. And we pray for him. And, he's, and he looks up after we're done. We just pray a general blessing. You know, he, he didn't talk much. Just, yeah, you can pray for me. And uh, he looks up and he says, I, I've been walking this straight and narrow. And three days ago, I had a, I, I had a rough patch in life. And three days ago, I started using again. And I have... I've been on a three-day, I haven't slept in three days. I haven't, I've just been, blew all my money. I'd been sober for so long. I mean, he was a nice-dressed guy. I mean, you wouldn't have known that there was an issue with him at all. He's like, I'm walking around just trying to find myself. And you guys came here and asked me to pray for you. And, you know, we just, we just can we pray for you again? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need it. I'm telling you what, we prayed for him. Demons started manifesting, and uh, we had to straighten all that out. And uh, I'm telling you what, he, his countenance looked completely different. And, and I, I love that. It's just like, hey, you got a good church you go to? No, not right now. And just, hey, what's your phone number? And I texted him. And, you know, we've stayed in contact, and I don't know. He, I, you know, connected with him at church in his area. And it's just, it's just cool that, that if you can conquer that fear, 
how, how God can use that in such an incredible way. We, we went to this concert, and there's a big line of people, and they're waiting to get into the concert, and one of the good things is COVID slowed down the line. So well, they all got to stand there because they all got to, I don't know what they had to do, but you know, check their purses, make sure there's no guns in there, do this COVID stuff, and everyone's spaced out, and they can't go anywhere, otherwise they won't see their concerts, so they just have to stand there and listen to me preach the gospel to them. Praise God for one good thing that came out of COVID, they just have to stand there and listen to me preach the gospel. Uh, and uh, we, are, we are ministering these folks, and they're, they, there's this, this couple right in front of us, and we're chatting with them, and like my friend Jake, you know, he dives right in, and I'm, I'm kind of getting there to to bring the gospel presentation in there and i'm telling you the people in front of they're they're locked eyes with us but the people on the front front of the line and the back of the line that the two neck they just all, all of a sudden i mean just a sweet old lady just turns around and starts spewing things that i can't even repeat just demonic stuff just coming just and, and of course you know what happens is the fear level rises but you also realize the, the spiritual stake of things. Am I switching? Yeah. Okay. It is the love and the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. Okay? It is the love of God that draws people to repentance. What does the Bible say about love and of fear? The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. It is not bravery that causes us to get past our hurdles. It is not boldness that causes us to get past fear, but it is this understanding of the love of God that seems to cause that fear, that very real, that very intimidating fear to all of a sudden turn into smoke and mirrors. All of a sudden turns into something, it just casts it away. It just erases it all. I want to tell you that when the, when the church, this this Acts chapter 4 church saw the apostles come back and get roughed up. They got scared. And I think any one of us probably would be. And they, began, they knew what to do, though. They began praying. They said that what we do is we have a prayer service. And they asked for something. They asked for boldness. What did I say before? Boldness is not the thing that gets us, gets us to, to conquer our fears. It's not boldness. But you know what? The, the, the amazing thing is, is that when we pray, sometimes when we pray, all prayer counts. All prayer counts. Sometimes we don't know how to pray, and we might even, we might even pray a little sideways. And, and God is pretty good at, at taking it. If, if our arrow is at least aiming somewhere near the target, God is really good at sort of using that arrow and kind of hitting the target with. Now, if we're praying the opposite direction, you know, as James talks about, like some of y'all are praying for Lamborghinis, and maybe that ain't the will of God. But if you're praying for boldness to preach the gospel, that is, that is an arrow that the Lord can steer to hit the target. And they pray for boldness, and God answers their prayer by giving them the Holy Spirit. God answers their prayer for boldness by giving them the Holy Spirit. And it says the ground shook. I actually want to read the prayer to you. It says, And now, Lord, 
And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your strength, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand and heal with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant. And after they prayed, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Come on, someone say hallelujah. And I love it because, because when, when the the for when they were still disciples, and Jesus in the book of John chapter 20 met the disciples, he, he breathed on them. He said, now as, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. It's a sending, it's a sending spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit that comes upon us so that we have the power to preach the gospel. So that the story of Jesus is more than a story, it is the power. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we read in Acts chapter 1 how he said, I need you to go pray. Because you're going to pray and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll give you the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And they were filled with that Holy Spirit. And what is the very next thing that happened? They preached the gospel. 3,000 gave their lives. And then again, some of those same people that had been filled with the Holy Spirit, some of those same disciples that Jesus breathed on, that were in the upper room that that the Holy Spirit fell on, that were then in this prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit shook the ground. I think some of us might need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Another one that that these words that, that that are... kept away in our heart the story that has liberated us for all of eternity may come out of our of our mouths that we may sing a song to the world about the fear of the lord as 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 psalms 40 tells us about i want to tell you something something you're not going to like to hear God loves your enemies. Doesn't that stink? That stinks in the flesh. When we're in the flesh, it's like, God, I'm grumpy. I don't want you to love my enemies, because if you love my enemies, then I gotta love my enemies. And I'm feeling grumpy. You know, no one liked the Samaritans. Nobody liked the Samaritans. But it's just like God, because he loves your enemies. But the second church that was ever planted in all of history was planted in Samaria. And it was planted in a way, I mean, Jesus said, listen, you start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. They started in Jerusalem and said, this is pretty cool, let's build a megachurch. And so what happened? The Lord had to bring in a little persecution, stir up the pot a little bit. Poor Stephen or Stephen, or however you pronounce his name. In grade school, they said PH was an F sound. But then when we read this, I'm told it's supposed to be Stephen. Listen, I don't know, you're all confusing me. This English thing, I've never mastered it. And what happened in, in Acts chapter 7, going into Acts chapter 8, fear hit the camp again. And you know what? The apostles, the ones that were told to go all around the world and preach the gospel, they stayed in Jerusalem. Even after Jesus, they were the apostles. Apostles actually mean sent ones. And so what what they decided to do, they decided to stay. 
That was what they decided to do. The Lord uses mess-ups. Thank you, Jesus, you use mess-ups. We don't always get it right. But the people of God, the, the church scattered, and the church went all over, and they went all over preaching the gospel. The ones that weren't called to be sent, the ones that weren't sent, the ones that didn't have titles and seminary degrees and, and, and words in front of their names, they were the ones that went all over and preached the gospel, and they went to Samaria and Philip had to catch up with them, saying, wait a second, you guys are church planting? Well, I want in. And Philip went over there and started preaching to them and getting them organized. And was like, you guys need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and called Peter over to make sure that they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? They set up a second empire. They're like, cool, we got church number two. Let's set up an empire. Let's stay right here. And the Lord's like, nope. And literally picks Philip up, literally picks Philip up, and moves him across the other side into Judea, where the Lord had said, that's probably the second place you ought to go, but if you're not being obedient, I'll just pick you up by the scruff of your neck and literally move you to the other side of the country. And then Philip had to go preach the gospel all the way back. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Man, God uses mess-ups, doesn't he? But he loves our enemy. You know, the Jews were not a big fan of the Gentiles. We all know that. And Peter, man, he's such good at preaching when the Lord said it's time for the Gentiles to hear the word of the Lord. He goes to Cornelius' house, and his opening words isn't that I'm here to tell you God loves you. His opening words is, listen, it ain't legal for me to be here, and the only reason I'm here is because God told me to be here. (laughs) Oh, you've charmed us. So, Peter, thank you for your comforting words, but since God wants you in the kingdom of God, I guess I've got to preach to you. Wow, Peter, you're so convincing. Thank you, Peter. I thank you that even though Peter's famous opening lines are always hard to swallow, um, the Holy Spirit is still using him and those Gentiles, the household of Cornelius and all his friends and pals and relatives all received Jesus and a church was planted. Praise God because the gospel was preached and disciples were made. God loves your enemies. You know, the thing, that, the thing that Jonah was scared about, Jonah wasn't afraid of being thrown over a boat or being sit in the belly of a whale. Jonah, his greatest fear was that God would have mercy on his enemies. Jonah's greatest fear was that God would have mercy on his enemies. God loves your enemies. And the truth is, is that the more God loves your enemies, the more he's probably calling you to preach to your enemies. The same way he did Jonah, the same way he did with the, with the Gentiles and the Samaritans. I'm telling you what, some of you have some problems with some people. <laughs> that God is calling you to preach the gospel. If you don't like the Republicans, then God's probably called you to pray and preach to the Republicans. If, God, if, if you don't like the Democrats and you think they're drinking baby's blood, well, guess what? You, it is, God is calling you. God is calling you to go make some friends with some Democrats. And I'm telling you what, God is going to use you and you're going to have some pretty big fears to need to conquer. But God is going to use you because the thing is, is that that he loves your enemies. For a moment here, I love to flex on the devil and I love to do the things that Jesus told us to do. Do you know he told us to pray for our enemies? And your enemy might look different than my enemy. Your enemy may be an 
you know, people group or a person or whatnot, but for one minute, we're going to bow our heads and, and do the thing that Jesus said. Would you bow your heads? And every, Holy Spirit is reminding you of, of, a, of a face, of a name, and it is, you do not have to feel guilty for feeling frustrated with this people group or this person. There's a reason. God said, don't have enemies. He said, love your enemies. God said, don't, ha-, he didn't tell us not to have enemies. He said, pray for your enemies. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bring to mind the names and faces, the groups of people, anyone, any group of people we don't like that we think is far from you, God, and we ask right now that they would be close to you. God, we pray that you would dump a bucket of hot coals that's a love of God right on their head. God, it's easy to pray that you would dump a bunch of hot coals on our enemy, and we pray those hot coals would be the fire of God right now in the name of Jesus. We pray those hot coals would be the fire of God in the name of Jesus, Father. I pray that you would give us the words to speak, God. I pray that you would help us uh, infiltrate their camps and bring the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, when you bring the gospel to your enemy, sometimes you don't see the thing, the change, you want them to become like you. Sometimes that doesn't always happen. I mean, the Gentile church had a big issue with that. The Jews wanted them to be like the Jews, and they had to have a big old meeting to get that sorted out. And so God uses messed up people in a messed up church as our full yes, full of the Holy Spirit to go preach the gospel. Sometimes, a lot of times, even to our enemy. And sometimes God uses the wrong person to do it. And that wrong person might be you, saying, I don't feel called. There's no way. That's not my calling. That's not my gifting. That's not my ministry. And guess what? The Bible says that, that Jesus gave Peter a strict commission. You are to take this gospel to the Gentiles. And you know what? The wrong person was picked to do it. He used, instead, he used the, the Jewiest of the Jews, he used the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He used Paul to, to bring revival into the Gentile church. And I don't even think Paul really wanted to do it because he'd always go into the synagogues first. And what they do, they'd throw rocks at his face. Yep. <laughs> he seemed to have much more favor with the Gentiles. Sometimes God even will use the wrong person. And you might be the wrong person. And God's, you're telling God, no, you're not using me. I'm not one preaching the gospel. I'm telling you what, I, I've got a hunch based on the things, the, the way the narrative goes in the Bible that he actually wants to use you. So I want to tell you, here's our next steps as we wrap up today. Can you go to the next step slide? We can pray for more boldness. What happens when we pray for boldness? He doesn't actually give us boldness, does he? He gives us the Holy Spirit. This is a practical thing. I, I noticed that, that Pastor Brent is a gifted preacher. Is he not? Is he's a gifted preacher? You probably all wouldn't be here if he wasn't a gifted preacher. But I'm telling you what, he doesn't get up here on Sunday morning and say, well, I, I don't, we'll find out what I preach today. I'm not sure what I'm preaching about. We'll find out once I'm, I get up here because I'm going to preach by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I do trust that there's probably times where the Lord gives him a word, maybe right before, but I know that, that he, he probably is in his office working all week and the Lord is speaking to him and, and preparing something that he can deliver today. Sometimes he even practices that message. Any gifting that God gives us requires practice. If, you've been, if you're gifted with prophecy, you know it requires practice. 
And I know that too. I've seen prophetic people that God's hand is on that have given pretty messed up prophetic words because they lacked the practice. And I've seen pastors that have given pretty bad sermons that, because they didn't practice and they didn't prepare. And in the same way, those that preach the gospel, it is not unspiritual to have a plan. It's not unspiritual to practice what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and, what's, and, and you can pray through that practice and you can let the Holy Spirit guide you through that practice. Don't be weird. I threw that one in too there. Okay, don't be weird. <laughs> the best of your ability. God is, God, you know, the closer you get to God, the weirder you get. You just do your best, okay? Be all things to all people. Just try to look normal. Well, none of us are normal. We all know that. But just fake it. Okay, just fake it. That's what Paul did. He showed up. He said, I'll be anything to anyone as long as I can preach the gospel to him. And he went to a bunch of, a bunch of uh, Athens scholars and philosophers, people he had nothing in common with, and found connection with them and preached to a, to a way that they would, they would hear. He found one of their little idol statues and said, this, this statue that you don't know who you're praying to, that's actually the God that I serve. Let me tell you about him. Make a plan. Now, now, once you do, introduce yourself, when you go out there, when you go out there today and you're, you go to, what's the Cracker Barrel here for lunch? When you go, you, you ask your, you know, you tell your waitress, hey, we're Christians. I want to pray a blessing on you. Can I pray for you? You know, that's one of the easiest ways to open the door. I, I've, I've learned it's, it's easier to open the door by just identifying yourself as a Christian right off the bat. It just Let's just get this out there, will you? Let's not... Let's not work around, have you guessing. I'm a Christian, and I want to pray a blessing. And now it also causes you to have good behavior, right? Because now you've, you've identified, you better, you better behave. <laughs> Ask them if you can pray. And you know what? Don't be afraid to pray big, bold things. Don't be afraid. To, you know, someone's limp, you got a waitress with a bum elbow, pray for her elbow. Believe God's going to heal that. And you know what? I, there's been times where I've seen crazy, crazy, incredible miracles. You know what? There's been times where I haven't. But I've never met a person that I have prayed for that hasn't been absolutely blessed, moved by that prayer. Most times, especially when we're outside the church, I don't know why it works. You're going to have to ask someone that has more education than I do why sometimes I see crazier miracles outside the church than we do inside the church. Because God just likes your enemy, doesn't he? <clears throat> and you know what? Here's, begin telling them the gospel. And here's the number four, and we're just going to wrap it up with just this practical thing. Get their phone number right there and just say, hey, can I, can I text you a good church? Invite, the, I, I'm gonna be, invite them to Wednesday night Bible study. That is one of the best places to get people. Um, that's a lot of pressure on you now, okay? You might have a bunch of, <laughs> b- bunch of you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll get it sorted, okay? Okay, get them to Wednesday night Bible study. And I'm telling you why, because there is a place where, where you've got a little bit more flexibility and maybe he's going to change up the Bible study because all oh, you brought a bunch of people that don't know Jesus yet in here and we need, to, we need to teach a little bit differently than we did because there's a whole bunch of either pre-Christians or baby Christians sitting amongst y'all and you can go through the book of Mark or John or whatever you need to do and, and walk them through this, this bigger story of the gospel. Would you stand with me? Today, as we just bring this day to a close, I am just convicted 
by how many times, Jesus, you sent your Holy Spirit. How many times you filled your church with the Holy Spirit. When you breathed on your disciples and said, now go as I've been sent, now you're sent. As you, as you told your disciples to go pray and, and until they received the power, then go out and be witnesses. And how you comforted a shooken church. You filled them with the Holy Spirit when they asked for boldness, God. We pray that same prayer. God, we pray that same prayer. God, we, we renounce fear. We know that it's smoke and mirrors, though it seems so real. Some of us may be rejected. God, sometimes it might feel like you don't know, that you won't show up. And there's most times we don't know what we're doing. But God, the only way we're going to figure it out is if we step out beyond that fear. And we need your Holy Spirit, God. So we pray right now, would you send your Holy Spirit? If that's you in this place, maybe you've been touched by the Holy Spirit a thousand times and you need a thousand and one touches this morning, would you just raise your hand and, and, and bearing witness, God, we just pray. We just pray across this room, God, that you would touch every one of our lives, God, that you'd fill us up as we pull into the parking lot, God. Would you fill our car with the Holy Spirit, letting us know, now, okay, it's go time. We're going to preach the gospel. Uh, God, I pray that you would give us in our quiet times in the morning, God, as we're sipping our coffee, God, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit as we've been making plans and saying, how do I even share? How do, what words do I speak to somebody? God, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit as, as someone like me is trembling before they're going to go talk to random strangers. God, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, God, that even when we fumble and we bumble and we're messed up, God, that still you use the words that we share because it's, it's the power unto salvation. And we know it. the power is not because of us. The power is because of you. And so we need you. We need you, God. Your plan for redemption, for some reason, you've included us, God, and we no longer want to sit on the sidelines. So we pray this morning, would you breathe on us? Would you breathe on us? Would you just place your hand on the person next to you? There is something about, I don't know why, there's something about the laying on of hands, God, when you just pray more. Just pray more of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you. God, would you fill every person in this place? And just pray your best prayer for the person next to you. Pray for someone like you would want them to pray for you. God, I just pray more of the Holy Spirit. Brother, can I, I'm going to pray for you as we pray. Is that all right? Lord, I just pray more of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God. I thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. And as we bring this time to a close, we bring our assembly to the close, I thank you that you don't stop meeting with us. God, you don't stop working on our hearts. And as we go out to this place, just like they fell out of that upper room, God, I pray that you would use us in great boldness to pray, to prophesy, to see miracles, to see demons cast out of people, but, but not lacking the preaching, the, the communicating, the, the loving touch, the words of your gospel that go out in power and change hearts and lives. We just thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Pastor, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. You could be seated for just a moment. Thank you, Lord. How many of you know a, a fresh, 
feeling is good. <laughs> a fresh infilling is good. Hey, just a quick reminder. Um, Pastor George and Sarah uh, are full-time in their ministries, uh, and we want to be a blessing to them. Uh, so if, uh, I'm going to ask you, if you sow into their lives, I think uh, I see Elijah and Isaac will be at the doors with the offering bags. If your offering is for the, uh, for the house, um, just put it in the boxes, text it, give it online or whatever. But uh, Isaac and Elijah are ready back there, aren't you boys? I'm telling you, there's something about sharing the word. And, and it really, you know, I, I, so many things was going through my mind as he, he began to speak. Of we, we uh, Ted and I went to lunch the other day. And just the difference he made of telling the waitress that we're uh, telling her that God loves her. And he, and he said, and my wife and I were talking about you, how beautiful you are. And I watched her face change. Folks, it, it's not that hard. It's, it's, it's not that difficult. And uh, if you take these, I love those last steps. Take those things. Share Jesus. Just share Jesus. And I'm telling you, this whole area will change with a people who is bold enough to give God a yes. Amen. Amen. So I want to thank Sarah, I want to thank George, and thank their girls for sharing their parents with us this weekend. It has been a, a great time. So if, let's just give them one more hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, yes. <laughs> Woo. Thank you, Lord. So bless them on your way out. Bless the church. Don't forget everything's happening Wednesday at 10 a.m. is prayer. 6 p.m. is Bible study. You are blessed whether you like it or not. You might as well go and enjoy it. Amen? Amen. Amen.